Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 173. Well, just ahead, Helen of Troy not looking so pretty after the effects of inflation. And Micron spending billions on a semiconductor factory that gives us a glimpse of the future. And in Davos, CEO John Cottrell joins us to talk about how IT is changing businesses still in the next era. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can subscribe to The Drill Down by clicking the subscribe button and follow us. That way you can catch every single show. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We're gonna tell you the business stories behind some stocks on the move. Joining me as always from Los Angeles, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, it's Fleet Week here in San Francisco, so I'm hoping we'll hear some F-16s overhead. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I'm hoping to see some sailors walking along the street. That'd be more you than me, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it is, uh, it is a, a neat time to be in San Francisco uh, every year, this time of year. It's, it's always the best weather, and, and yeah, the ships come in. And I was actually in uh, Virginia Beach a few weeks ago um, uh, on a college tour with my daughter, and uh, we were out in the ocean, um, and, and all of a sudden I heard this rumbling. I'm like, what the heck is that? And it was the rehearsals, I guess, for Blue Angels or something, and they were uh, flying those F-16s overhead. It was, it was, they, were, they were out there, and they're over here. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Don't mess with them. Yeah, I always love watching the Blue Angels, any chance I get. Fabulous use your taxpayer dollars. It is. Not really. Corey, what stocks, Corey what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Helen of Troy. Helen of Troy trains, uh, trades under Hella, as H-E-L-E, or Heli. Uh, shares have climbed 8% over the past week, but over the course of a year, H-E-L-E shares have tumbled 50%. Yeah, absolutely tanking. Um, Tough year uh, for Helen of Troy. Heli, yes, a $2.4 billion dollar company. Hella, I think it was what we ought to call it here in the yeah. Bay Area. <laughs> Why not? Well, Isaac, uh, this is a company that makes, um, well- you and I are not ones to skimp on the manscaping. Oh no, never. But brawn razors, mm-hmm. as well as Oxo kitchen tools, making up a lot of what Helen of Troy sells, are seeing that people are buying cheaper stuff. They're still selling a lot. They reported quarterly sales uh, uh, with the most recent uh, quarter uh, up ten percent. Um, they are up um, uh, overall the whole year up eleven percent from fiscal twenty twenty two. Thirty four percent from the pandemic year of 2020. Um, and yet uh, their updated sales guidance for the year suggesting 2 billion in sales for the next year and, and profits of just $31 million um, uh, showing a slowdown. Not so much that people aren't buying as many things, but they're buying cheaper things. They're skimping on the manscaping hmm. and beauty, beauty products, more liquids being sold. Here's CEO Julian Minenberg. We've called down the, our expectations for consumption in the back half 
And frankly, we were surprised the degree to which consumers slowed down in some of these particular categories. Just take beauty, for example. You hear a mixed message from the big retailers. They'll tell you beauty does well. But as you parse it out and ask which part of beauty does well, you'll find out that the liquids do well, uh, but the appliances generally do well only in the lower price points. So for us, with a good, better, best portfolio, the better and best gets hurt. The good needs to compete in those lower price points. So we're making those types of assumptions for the back half, meaning that the liquids will continue to do well, which they are already. And in the case of the appliances, we're assuming that they'll stay on this down, downward cycle for the rest of this fiscal year. And on the trade downside, uh, we're taking action on bringing in uh, products uh, that are more suited to those price points on the one hand, on the other hand, bringing some pretty cool new items as well uh, and stimulating the demand just like we have in the past with consumer-centric innovation on brands that we know people want. Uh, in the case of the uh, retailer side, it's very similar to the answer from, from Bob. On the financial health of the consumer, it's very hard to say. It really depends on the, what the Fed does with the impact on consumers of, of interest rates and all the other macro stuff that people know. In our case, from a market share standpoint, you heard us speak a bit about that in my prepared remarks today. There's a lot of work going on to keep going on the subject of value reframing and to make sure our products are front and center with consumers with the benefits and price points that we know they want today. So you may not be thinking Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell when you're looking at your OXO salad spinner, but uh, the cheaper stuff is what's going uh, uh, from Helen of Troy and that's affecting their top line. You know, I actually, if I found this really fascinating, I feel like I actually don't know that I own any Helen of Troy products in the house, which is crazy because I buy a lot of beauty products. Shocking. I think it's, it's working. And kitchen products. It's working. But I don't think I own any Helen of Troy stuff. So I don't, you know, I'm not sure um, I really have a full grasp of their um, demographic. Uh, it, it, it is interesting at a time that we've uh, seen so many companies cut down on the number of products that they sell, the SKUs coming way down and trying to figure out where 80% of their sales are and maybe they can get rid of the 20% of the products that just don't sell that often. Mm. And you see this happening uh, with Helen of Troy, uh, but interesting that really the focus for them right now isn't on the less expensive products because that's where the consumer's at right now. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to go back and look at Micron Technologies, which reported earnings recently. And I thought there was a lot to learn in that quarterly report. Definitely. Uh, Micron trades under MU and MU shares have been rising over the past week. But if you look at a 12-month chart, Micron shares have dropped 22%. So Micron um, uh, used to be one of the most important businesses in all of technology, and it still serves the purpose of seeing into the future. So Micron is a big company, $57 billion market cap. They announced some interesting things uh, around the quarterly announcement, not least of which plans to spend $100 billion on a new chip fab, a chip making factory in upstate New York, uh, where these things don't exist in great size, uh, a town called Clay, New York, near Syracuse. Uh, near the Finger Lakes, um, uh, which I strongly encourage everyone visit as often as possible. Have you been to the Finger Lakes? I have many times. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. Uh, in any case, um, these guys, a $100 billion plan means it's a 20-year plan for them. Yes, it comes on the heels of President uh, Joe Biden signing the Chips and Science Act of 2022, which, as we know, provided uh, federal grants, $52 billion in federal grants, uh, to help ship companies, encourage them to build domestically and reduce the reliance on Chinese chip makers. 
and indeed Taiwanese chip makers. But if you want to see the future, you look at Micron earnings. And you certainly saw the future uh, in these earnings. Yes, the, the revenues were down nearly 20% year over year with $6.7 billion. And next year, uh, next quarter, they expect uh, $4.5 billion or four and a quarter billion, just about in top line uh, revenues. We're seeing, interestingly, a pullback in PC purchases, but uh, kind of steady uh, sales for smartphone purchases. At least that's what they think. And when they are looking forward to the future, they're already talking about a turnaround in their business, in the, in the PC business, in the second half of fiscal 2023. Here is CEO Sanjay Mahotra. Now, keep in mind that the PC market and the smartphone market entered the down cycle before the other parts of the market and well before the economic environment broadly uh, started to uh, weaken. And so we also expect that uh, since these are consumer devices that are pretty essential, when the volumes of these devices get down to really low levels, um, you know, we do think they will stabilize and um, there is a, a good chance of uh, uh, improvement in these volumes as countries like China start to open up and uh, forego some of their uh, zero COVID um, lockdowns um, related to zero COVID. We, we are um, assuming that those lockdowns will uh, improve as we go through our fiscal year. So sometime in early next calendar year, we are assuming that, you know, the Chinese economy will start to improve and um, there will be some uh, reinvigoration of consumer demand there. So, um, you know, the last, the last point I will make is the, um, the shipments um, that we are talking about growing in the second half of fiscal 2023 versus the first half of fiscal 2023. So yeah, this forward looking um, uh, component to the earnings of Micron are always really interesting because, you know, their, their economists and their ability to forecast what's happening in technology is probably the best in the business. Well, they're at the center of, you know, what everyone needs to build anything new, right? Who doesn't need some DRAM once in a while? Corey, what's your next drill down? Isaac, I want to look at RPM International. RPM International trades under RPM and shares have risen 16% in a year, currently trading near 93 bucks a share, getting closer to their 52-week high of 101. So interesting company, a supplier of coatings and paints. And yes, I'm someone who finds it interesting. Not least of which, because they had $275 million in revenues, up 17%. So here we have... Wow. You know, all this macroeconomic, Fed-speak garbage, inflation, pullbacks. These guys saw sales up 17% on a pretty big number. Um, and the way they did that is they had some businesses that went well for them, particularly the disaster restoration business. Um, but generally speaking, they're tied to home building. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this sort of big spend to happen. They've managed to uh, uh, fix some costs and yet raise their prices to customers. That's helped them increase revenues. But finally, finally, after all these COVID time, they're seeing people really start to spend on their products. Here's CEO Frank Sullivan. It started to feel like waiting for Godot because um, there has not been a more stable period of time in the last two years. And I don't think it's very stable today. 
I say all that because we have been designing and, and beginning to implement MAP 2025 over the last, let's call it six months plus. And better than half of that work initially has been at our consumer group. And so if you, you, know, you look at the uh, adjustments of consulting fees and other fees, we had a lot to do with a lot of work to do on operating efficiencies and, and SIOP uh, efficiencies, particularly consumers. So there's been a lot of work on that in the last year. Those three things, I think, combined to generate the strong recovery uh, at consumer. The last comment I will make, and then, and then I'll stop and answer additional questions, is that despite the strong quarter, uh, only at our performance coatings group are we operating at record EBIT margins. Uh, we are not back to record EBIT margins at construction products, at, at specialty products, or at consumer. So we still have some more work to do, both in terms of executing on MAP 2025 and on addressing uh, cost price mix issues that have been driven by the inflationary environment that we're in. So, yeah, so some people call it inflation. They call it higher prices, and higher prices are good for a company with somewhat fixed costs. And these guys are seeing uh, just that kind of benefit. And we need to build. Yeah, we need more housing. Uh, uh, as as uh, former Senator Al Franken likes to say, number one cure for homelessness is a home. Exactly. Amen to that. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Andava CEO, John Cotterell, really interesting company out of the UK, publicly traded in the US, um, that's involved in IT services and is really seeing just booming business uh, quarter after quarter, um, growing fast, hiring like crazy. Andava CEO John Cotterell joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now, as promised, by the CEO of Indava, John Cotterell joins us. John, where are you right now? Uh, I'm sitting just outside London in the UK. Fabulous. Uh, uh, where, where about 40% of Indava's business is, about th a third of the business in the US. But what is that business? So we are in the business of helping our clients drive digital acceleration, essentially bringing in the new technologies that are going to help change their business models uh, whether that's relationships with consumers, whether it's um, changing uh, automation into their organization and so on. Uh, and so and 20 years ago, that was the industries. Yeah, 20 years ago, that was building a website. Uh, and yeah. you guys did that back then. But now it's something different. What, what, what does it tend to be? I know, I know you guys do a lot of work around payments, but I think there's a lot more to it. Yeah, so I mean, as, as you look across different industries, there are, there are what we call technology waves uh, going across those industries. Uh, so you've got things like autonomous vehicles, you've got 5G and the uh, metaverse and how that's going to converge and change uh, the consumer experience and the interactions that they expect to have. Um, you've got uh, frictionless payments and that's being enabled by uh, uh, things like real-time payments rails that are now getting to the US. They've been in Europe a little bit earlier than the US uh, and that enables a lot more different products 
uh, in the payment space and so on. You, you've got um, language AI that's going to dramatically change uh, the way in which, um, you know, computers talk to us and relate to us. Um, and then a little bit further down the line, and you know, we've got things like quantum computing and all the changes that that's going to bring. So it goes a, a way, way beyond, you know, websites these days. We'll, we'll see when we get quantum computing. I'll believe that when I see it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, and I can't wait. Um, but I, uh, it's, it's so fascinating that, that how this work happens. Maybe even give an example of a reference client or somebody where you walked into uh, help them with a certain kind of problem and give me a sense of what, what the engagement looked like. Uh, yeah. So um, one of the clients that we work with is, is MasterCard. Uh, we work with a, a business that they acquired in the UK called Vocalink. Um, and Vocalink is creating real-time payments rails. Um, and then uh, they, they built it initially for the UK with our help. And then um, they're now rolling that out in different countries uh, around the world. So one of the countries that's uh, picked it up is the US, uh, also going into Canada um, and uh, many other uh, places around the world. Uh, now, what real-time payments does is it um, enables new products and services, things like wallets and so on, to be put uh, on the payments infrastructure. Um, and that then enables, you know, for instance, in, in emerging nations, uh, the unbanked to be able to um, take payments and uh, hold money and so on in their wallets uh, without having uh, the, the challenge of getting a bank account, et cetera. So it's quite transformative in those societies. Um, what Indava is doing is, is building all the uh, infrastructure and capability alongside our client to make that happen. And will you walk into a client and with, you know, here's, here's 400 people to help you figure this out, or we're going to study this for a little while with you, and then we're going to have 400 people walk in and march in and work with you. I and mean, you've got, I think, what, 11,000 employees. So you've certainly got the, the bodies to put to work. Yeah. So, I mean, the way we work with clients is we tend to start with an ideation phase. So we will, we'll be sitting down with them as a business and saying, here's how technology could transform what you're trying to do. Um, and we'll come up with a, an approach that where we'll do a proof of concept. So it won't be a PowerPoint based vision. It'll be here is a proof of concept that actually shows how this technology would work on your business. And then as clients see that working, they then scale it up into prototypes and then, then they want to get into production. They want an organization that can, uh, build a scalable solution uh, as it's successful in the market. Uh, obviously, with our payments credentials, we show we can build scaled solutions. Uh, and so so we then build those products out. And as they're successful in the market, clients want to change them into new, take, sorry, take them into new jurisdictions, take them, add new functionality and so on. And so our, our teams tend to scale with the success of the product with the client. And you're hiring, or at least you're adding people aggressively. So our headcount tends to grow a little bit slower than our revenue. And as we add revenue, we add people um, because we're a services business and, and people are doing the, the heavy lifting for us. Our last quarter, it was 35% year on year growth um, and, um, and our headcount grew 30%. So the headcount grows just a little bit behind the, the top line revenue growth that we're putting on. Hopefully. Yeah, one would like to grow uh, revenue faster than expenses. 
absolutely. But also we pay our people more. So, you know, the people do well out of it as well. It, it isn't just that we're getting more and more leverage every year. What is the size of a typical engagement, either in revenues or people or time? or? So they, they start small, as I mentioned, with those ideation uh, activities, and that might be one or two teams. A team is generally about seven or eight people. Um, and then um, they grow as, as those products are successful uh, with clients. So the largest engagements around a, a single product are in the five or 600 people scale. Uh, and we have everything in between. And it's got to go on for years. Yeah, I mean, the, the nice thing about um, these products that we're creating is they're not, they're not um, the same as the traditional IT project where you had a whole bunch of activity to get this thing delivered and then it, it dropped to a low level of maintenance. Uh, these products grow and grow as, as clients push the, the boundaries with them of, of territories and of uh, functionality and so on. And so we see our team scaling up over time. Uh, the, one of, you know, the, the one where we've got five or 600 people, we literally started working with the client on that uh, back in 2001. <laughs> You better get it done soon. They're going to start to notice you're still around. Oh, no, it's it's because it's going into new countries and uh, adding new capabilities. The U.S. is a big implementation, as you can imagine. Well, yeah, surely. Um, I've got to think that the work that Indava does is just fundamentally fun. It's got to be really, really interesting yeah. to march into these companies and, and do the coolest stuff they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge um, attraction for drawing great people into the organization. Uh, the fact that the work they're going to be uh, engaged on is actually leading edge, uh, stretching the bounds of uh, technology, but at the same time, making sure that it's going to be resilient and scalable in the production world. Is the so, right metric to judge your company revenue per employee then? Uh, it's, it's certainly one of the ones that uh, we focus on. Uh, so when we IPO'd, uh, four years ago, we had £52,000 uh, per head and we're uh, approaching £70,000 per head. So that has definitely driven up. Over, that's over a four-year period, which is substantial growth. Uh, except that the pound isn't what it used to be. Well, um, there's a moment of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pound was pretty um, I wonder... The IPO'd, actually. Yeah, so it's, it's up it's, and yeah, back it's, down again, to be fair. I, I w and, I, and I don't like to take these interviews too macro, but I do wonder what you are seeing uh, in your engagements, yes, you're all over the world, and yes, a third of your business is in the U.S. and 40% of the U.K. roundabout. But I wonder what you're seeing in the U.K. right now in terms of growth and in terms of engagements. Uh, so the the U.K. is um, just as strong as other parts of the world. Um, of course, we have a deep franchise here because it's where we started and where we've got the longest client relationships, um, and that is that is always uh, helpful, uh, and to some extent that. Uh, counters some of the macro that you're touching on, uh, where the UK is getting hit. Um, so we're seeing as many new projects starting up as we are, um, you know, other ones being uh, tempered or slowed down or coming to an end. Um, so, you know, we're still seeing the growth momentum that we've had um, and that we've guided around that 25% mark. That's that's uh, more bullish than some of the macro commentary has been. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I mean, so our business sits in a space that um, where clients are investing for the long term, as we've as we've touched on, 
Um, and so in all of the past recessions, and you know, I founded the business in February 2000, so we've had a few now, uh, we carried on growing in the 20 to 30% range uh, through all of those recessions. Um, and you know, we're, we have good forecasting. We can see six to nine months out, and we're not seeing pullback uh, in terms of client stopping or slowing down what they're doing with us. Boy, that's, it's so interesting because, it, again, this sort of macro perspective that a lot of reporters and the bubble TV likes to talk about, you know, uh, uh, no one's buying tech. Tech is down. The Nasdaq's down. And, all, and it sounds like what you're saying is the spending is really continuing apace. It is for us. It doesn't across the whole of the tech space. And, I, you know, I think there are some weaker uh, businesses out there, particularly tech businesses that are not yet making a profit. Um, where they're getting pulled back because their vulnerability um, is 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 high, um, and you know we're we're coming off a peak. We were running at fifty percent as we came out of COVID, um, and so you know, but we're com- we're coming back to robust levels of growth with with maintained profitability. It's a very different place where you come off high growth and and you, and it's dropping you into trouble. Uh, I don't no, think the market's seen little- that differentiation yet. Gives you a little bit of a buffer, I suppose. Yeah. Fantastic. John Cotterill is the CEO of Indava. We're uh, lucky to have you. We appreciate your time. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. All right. Coming up next, the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Indava right after this. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to the Drill Down Podcast on your smart speaker. Say, hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down Podcast. And it'll pick up right where you left off so you can catch our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Now we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Indava. And Isaac, you heard uh, John Cotterell tell us about, you know, all the employees that they've got and all the people that they're hiring and how fast they're hiring. But they finished the last quarter with a ton of employees. That number tells you a lot about the company because the company has 11,853 employees. And what those 11,853 employees means is that they're throwing bodies at problems. That when you hire Indava, you might end up with a few people working there from Indava at your company, but pretty soon you're going to have an army of people there at your service. And that's how Indava does these engagements, whether it's for a year or as we just heard, more than 20. Decades. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right, Isaac, thank you very much. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. And The Drill Down has been a production of the Business Podcast Network.